Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. And today we're very delighted to welcome, as an advocate for women aging, Sally Duplantier. She's a gerontologist and health educator, found her passion for health and wellness in her late 30s. And as a lifelong learner, she's earned certification in nutrition science and a master's degree in gerontology. By the way, she was the only student on Medicare in that class, those courses. And currently, she's honing her skills in qualitative research to listen carefully to people's stories of their lived experiences. In 2019, Sally founded her company Zing, Z-I-N-G, to enable others to make to take charge of their health from a holistic perspective. Her mantra is show me the evidence to make sure that science supports the myriad of health claims made by various people and organizations. <laughs> so Sally, welcome to Women Over 70. We're so happy to be talking with you today. Well, Catherine and Gail, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's um, let's begin because you you educate people about lifestyle choices and you seem to be very intentional about using your about your terminology about um, health span. And tell us about that. What's behind that term? Sure. I think health span is a it's a relatively new term. You know, for years we focused on longevity. How long were people going to live? And the good news is that we're living twice as long as we did uh, in the 1900s. Um, but the bad news is that we're living with more chronic disease and disability. So what health span does is instead of looking at how long are you going to live, it's really looking at how long can you live in a way without chronic disease or disability, um, you know, when you're physically strong and mentally sharp. And, you know, what we hope for all of us and what I'm passionate about is that we can actually increase those healthy years and decrease the time later in life, much later in life, when disease will, you know, will eventually get the best of us. I'm certainly in support of that mission. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think who could argue with that, right? right. <laughs> so tell us about the company that you founded, Zing. So I founded Zing in 2019 after retiring twice and saying I was never going to work again. So I, I do want to clarify that. I started my first business in my late 20s. That was technology and business process change. Then I sold that. And then I worked for 10 more years in leadership development. So when I started Zing, it was in a very, very different field. It was looking at health and wellness. But I did it really out of a, a passion to help older adults live their best life longer. You know, one of them being me. Um, and I looked at how different lifestyle choices, um, especially nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress, the role that those can play in helping us live a, a longer and better life. So we'll, we'll get to what I needed to do to educate myself in this new field, but I started it in 2019, really. It, it's very much of a mission-driven company. Mm -hmm. And what? who do you serve and what, kind, what do you offer? Well, that's interesting. Who I serve has changed and what I offer has changed. So let me just take a little detour here. Um, you know, this was a whole new field to me. And I'm like, wow, I think I need more education if I'm going to start this new business. So I earned a, new, a, a certificate in nutrition science from Stanford. And then I was like, well, that's not enough. I'm going to go back to school and get a master's degree. 
And, and as you mentioned, I was the only kid in my class on Medicare because I got my master's of science in gerontology 45 years after my bachelor's degree. <laughs> um, and, and what I thought, Gail and, and Catherine, was that the people that I would serve, what I thought, would be more like me. It, they would be people who, you know, primarily a coaching model. I had initially designed a five-month, very intensive coaching model for husbands and wives, mothers and daughters, around healthy aging, healthy living. Um, and what I found after I got my degree was that I wanted to serve a broader audience. I really believe in this mission, but I want to have impact. So I'm serving a couple of audiences. I would say that most of what I'm doing now is a combination of education and research. On the education side, I offer a free program called Wellness Wednesdays, um, really designed to help keep people physically strong and mentally sharp. We'll chat about that because I have a number of guest speakers for that. Um, but then I also got a, a, a position doing research around increasing diversity um, in clinical trials for Alzheimer's patients. Mm -hmm. Because again, there's, there is such a large underserved community that needs to increase health span. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited about serving both audiences. So that's really, and I mean, we hear a lot about, um, we, many people we talk to, we kind of stop short when it comes to, well, how broad is our audience? How inclusive are the people being served? And so you're you're taking that on through education and in particularly research. Yeah. I, I, yes, exactly. I'm finding that, you know, one size does not fit all. If you if, if you try to make an audience really broad, you're, you're going to come out with nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so on the education side, you know, I do my Wellness Wednesday programs. Um, I do presentations at senior living facilities. I'm delighted to be guest faculty for Stanford. Um, so I'm a, a regular speaker and an educator for their, their uh, Be Well program. But then on the research side, um, and this is brand new, like just getting started, um, it's uh, part of a grant looking at uh, increasing diversity in Alzheimer clinical trials. And what will your role be? My role will probably primarily be um, research program manager. So if you can imagine, um, there are a lot of moving parts, especially as we're looking to um, increase uh, ways in which we can get people even into the pipeline of, of being interested in in uh, being part of a clinical trial. So it's a com it's a lot of it is uh, honing my pro program management skills from way back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I think Zing does a terrific job. Your website does a terrific job of engaging people. And certainly, if you're going to try to educate them, then that's that's you need that in your uh, yeah yeah absolutely um, and, and I, I will add that way back my bachelor's degree was in elementary and special education, and I think at the heart of, it, of me is still an educator. It's like still baked in, even though I've had all these different careers. Right. Right. Yes. So tell us more about Wellness Wednesday, because that is that's that you're really your education arm, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. OK, so remember, I started my business in 2019. 
Um, and then 2020, the pandemic hits mm-hmm. and we're all sheltering in place. And it was a new business. And I I was kind of, you know, building my brand and my reputation by going to senior living facilities and doing presentations. Well, that kind of dried up really fast, I mean, mm-hmm. really fast. So I thought, well, now what am I going to do? And I came up with this idea of doing some Zoom webinars. And my first, and like back then, nobody was using Zoom. I knew it because of the corporate world. So my first webinar had six people. My second one had nine. And since then, we have reached over 5,400 registered participants from 31 countries and five continents. Wow. So it's continued to grow. I would say. (laughs) What do you think is the attraction to it? Well, it's it's interesting you say that because I just did a, a research study, a program evaluation to kind of find out what is unique mm-hmm. because there's there's no shortage of health and wellness information. But my program, what what I do with this program is we offer them twice a month, the second and fourth Wednesdays. They're forty five minutes in length. And they feature really cutting edge speakers. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine, you you said earlier, my mantra is show me the evidence. What I really wanted to do was create a show with experts. So they might be researchers, they might be healthcare providers, they might be authors who've written, you know, evidence-based books. Mm-hmm. And have them talk on a particular topic. It could be gut health, it could be chronic inflammation, it could be how to exercise safely if you have osteoporosis and ensure that at the end of the program, there's something actionable. And that's something I measured. Like, did you get at least one good idea that you can apply? Mm-hmm. And I think people love the variety of topics, but they appreciate the fact that they're all geared toward helping older adults age in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And you you have some really remarkable, remarkably qualified people on your program. <laughs> can, I, can I say a few of them who I've had? Sure. So, okay. So one of them is Dr. Christopher Gardner from Stanford, and he's like one of the top nutrition scientists in the world. He was also my mentor when I, um, when I uh, did my internship at Stanford. We, I did an internship with him looking at the link between Alzheimer's and uh, diet. And how diet could impact cognitive decline. So, like, he's been a regular speaker. He's spoken for me three times. Um, I had Louise Aronson, who is a Pulitzer Prize finalist and the author of a remarkable book called Elderhood. Uh-huh. And I met her because a good friend of mine was in her spinning class. So, you know, like, I, I'm amazed. You know, this this brings up another topic about, you know, how sometimes we can get in our own way. We're afraid. We we think we can't because, you know, I can't because I'm a woman. I can't because I'm old. And I've just found, you know, if I reach out to people, a lot of times they just say, they just say, yes, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. We certainly find that also. Um, So you also had um, uh, Pamela Tate, who's talked about climate change, which is a really important issue, but people don't often think about that in relating relation to aging. Well. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it was interesting to have Pamela uh, on because what she spoke about was the link between soil health and human health. 
And there's a lot of studies recent, I mean, like in the last five to six years Mm -hmm. that show that um, because of our agricultural practices, the nutritional quality, especially in fruits and vegetables, has significantly declined. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I thought not only was this an important, you know, the nutritional piece was an important topic for my audience, but it's also um, the environmental impact. Mm -hmm. People walked away from that understanding the benefit of regenerative agriculture and even things they could do in their own backyard garden Mm -hmm. that would make a difference. Yeah. Mm I really appreciate that that you have the actionable piece to that too. It's like, what are you taking away that you can do, large or small, uh, tomorrow? Yeah. The next day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so you, I just want to go back a, a moment here. You talked about the four elements of healthy living, mm-hmm. the ones that we're probably familiar with. And if you could say what those are again, but then you've you are you're putting more emphasis on a on a fifth one, and that's, I'd love to have you talk right. about that. That's right. Um, so uh, I talked about nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress, and those are like you know four key pillars, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people talk about those. Mm-hmm. But something that I recognize now, you know, two and a half years into my new business, and and as a result of of, um, you know, graduating with this new degree in gerontology is that mindset matters. And, you know, I don't know if it's a trump card for these other ones, but I would say that our mindset in terms of how we think about aging, how we think about ourselves as an aging adult um, is extremely important and a predictor of both health span and longevity. And I'm going to quote um, Rebecca Levy. She's a very famous professor out of Yale. She recently wrote a book called, yes, Breaking the Age Code, must read. Um, But she's done decades, decades of research into something she calls stereotype embodiment. And the research shows that if If kids, for example, see grandparents as frail and failing and they can't do things, that those kids are going to grow into that same kind of adult. There's a self-fulfilling prophecy, the view that we have about what it's like to be older. And what I'm finding is that, you know, for example, if we want people to move more or eat better, it kind of starts with mindset. If you have a mindset that, oh, I don't know, I'm too old, I can't exercise, or I can't X, or I can't Y. Well, you know what? You can't. So if we can help people shift their own self-beliefs about what's possible and what also what they can contribute. So it's not just like, well, what can I do? But how can I help other people? Like, how exciting is that? And I think that's a lot of the work you're doing as well. That's right. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. I really, I really, um, I really agree with the approach that your mind controls—not controls, but your your mind uh, sets how you act and think. Yeah. And that you and and also that um, uh, you know the the whole mind gut connection. 
I, and you talk a lot about nutrition and all. So, so is there a particular point of view about the mind that you can share with us that you, that can help people think differently? Yeah. I'm going to have people imagine a hashtag, you know, we're all familiar with hashtag me too. We know that one by heart. Mm -hmm. I want people to imagine a hashtag never too old. I wrote a blog on this recently, and I highlighted stories of people who had done hard things in their 70s and 80s and beyond. Um, you know, we, we've all read the Little House on the Prairie uh, stories, but uh, Laura Inga Wilder did not write that. She didn't publish those stories until her 70s. Um, you know, I was reading about the, the great Japanese earthquake um, disaster. And I was reading how it was a group of older adults, like elders, who came together and, and got the communities together and, and provided much of the relief efforts. Um, and, then I, and then I just started highlighting um, stories in my own community. There's a dear woman in our, our Zing community. Her name is Lily. She's in her 80s and she's taught yoga for decades. But she somehow was able to figure out how to teach yoga on Zoom during the pandemic. So we're never too old to do hard things. And I think we, we can be aware of what other people do. We can't compare. You know what you, Gail, and you, Catherine, might do? I might say, oh my gosh, I couldn't do that. But I can do something. And I think, I think that's the thing. We can all do something. like to have you talk a little bit more uh, uh, going back to the your emphasis on people uh, without chronic illness or um, disability and, and 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 explain that a little bit more and because many people in our age group or a little older than you um, do start to have some chronic illness and and some uh, mobility issues, and yet still think of ourselves as healthy. Yes. So just explain that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, I'll give you a couple examples. There's a, in research, there's a, a question about self-rated health. It's really simple. It's like, in general, would you describe your health as excellent, very good, good, fair, or poor? Um, I've surveyed uh, a number of people who attend our Wellness Wednesday programs, and mo like I would say 98% say very good. And the reason they don't say excellent is because of what you're talking about. It's age-related changes. So it could be changes in eyesight. It could be cataracts. It could be you know, things that accompany aging. Or it could be you know, some kind of chronic disease, like let's say hypertension, but it's controlled through medication. So I think that that's a fair assessment. I think if we're in our 70s and we're in very good health, I think that's a lot. Um, what we want to do, though, is continue that way and hold off other chronic diseases for as long as possible. So the CDC estimates that um, any adult 65 or older has at least one chronic disease, but 50% of people have two or more, and 25% have three or more. 
So now you're starting to look at people who have cardiovascular disease and diabetes and maybe some kind of pulmonary issues. And, you know, that's going to significantly compromise your ability to, to live, a, live a happy life, you know, and a fun life and an enjoyable life. Hale, you look like you're ready to say something. Just taking it all in okay. <laughs> and thinking, where do I fall on this spectrum? <laughs> yeah. Well, you always are telling yeah. me that you're healthy, that you feel healthy. Certainly have a lot of energy. I feel very healthy. I have a lot of energy and I'm probably in the, um, in the group that has more than one chronic ailment. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Yeah. So that um, mindset again? It's that mindset. Well, and, you know, I think one of the things that I, I look at a lot is motivation. So, um, the, you know, don't we all know to eat more fruits and vegetables? Did you know that the actual recommendation from the American Heart Association is nine servings a day? Mm -hmm. Like almost nobody gets enough. So there's a lot of things we know. And then there's a gap between knowing and doing, you know, mm -hmm. and I find that people can't work on everything at once. You just can't. But, you know, if you look at nutrition, movement, sleep, and stress, there are some that will probably come naturally to you. Like you might be, you know, in general, a healthy eater, but it's hard to, you know, get an exercise program going. But I don't even let, I don't even call it exercise. I just call it movement, mm -hmm. you know. I like that. It, it just, mm -hmm. you know, I talk about, you know, an, or an exercise snack where you can get up and do something and move for 10 minutes. Um, we don't have to be experts or, you know, fully focused on all four of those pillars at once. That's a good advice. Yes. yes. Because when you try to focus on three or four, it, that just sort of stops, stops me yeah. in my tracks. Yeah. We have something, uh, one of the services that I have we didn't talk about is the Healthy Habits Network. And I started this to help people bridge that gap between knowing and doing. Um, and so, you know, what we focus on there is intentions, you know, like around a healthy habit. One of them for me, oh, here's a true confession. Like it was getting up out of the lounge chair at night where we're watching TV, up the stairs to bed by a reasonable time. And without eating a piece of chocolate before I made the, the stairs. Like it was such a bad habit. And like it, it really helped me to have a community of people. I actually check in with someone before I go to bed at night. I'm like, okay, I made it. I'm in bed at 1030 and no chocolate. The other thing I find was that, that you know, willpower only goes so far. Um, James Clear, who's an author, says that environment trumps willpower, and it's so true. So we stopped having chocolate in the house, and that helped me not eat chocolate before I went to bed at night. <laughs> I, I also know that you are you are um, an avid walker. I mean, that movement is extremely important to you. And tell us about your it's, that habit. It's so that is so ingrained in me. And it wasn't like growing up, I was kind of like a fat kid who didn't exercise. And um, it was really in my 20s that I became more aware of being more physically active. 
And you know, even when I was a CEO and running my own business and had very, very limited time, I always got something in. So I, it still takes some work, but I do cardio dance. I do um, hiking. I do weight training. I do ballet bar. I do yoga. I try to get in at least an hour to an hour half a day. Plus, plus I have a wonderful dog, a wonderful dog, and we walk about an hour a day too. Oh, in addition, yeah, I don't, I don't count, I don't count walking the dog because we sniff, we sniff, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's come on, Bella, you know, all that, but but it's still being outside, moving, which is yeah. great, yeah. So when people say to you, "I just don't have time to fit it in." I, to move, to do any of these things. What, what's your answer to them? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I kind of like this Zen phrase, there's enough time in the day for, every, for anything that's important. Mm-hmm. And so it really depends on how important right. it is to you. And maybe people don't have 90 minutes, but do they have 10 minutes? Um, I, I wrote a blog recently called Take a Joy Break. Because I found that, you know, I would I would exercise, but I was sitting like at my desk for too long and my dog was like sleeping in her poof too long. So now when I say joy break, she gets up out of her poof and we just go and we walk around the backyard. It's mm-hmm. like three minutes. It's nothing. But at least we're moving. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it was when, when I was working, you know, in a corporation or when I had my own business, I would say it was harder to get in the exercise. but you can still do, again, you can still do something if it's important. And maybe you can't do it every day. And maybe you can't do it every week. Um, if I travel, I just like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to give this day up. I'm going to be on a plane. But it just depends on how important it is. It's all priorities, isn't it? It, it, it is. And, every, and everything can't be a priority. Um, I would tell you that, you know, probably of all of those, the, the four pillars, sleep is my biggest priority. And oh my gosh, I sure changed myself when I was working in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And there are so many health consequences associated with sleeping, even six and a half hours a night, which we think, oh my God, that's plenty. It's not plenty. Mm-hmm. It's not plenty. Right. So, so I want to go back to evidence-based and, and you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Becca, Levy's book, because it's such extensive research. And you wrote an article yes. uh, about how to spot good science. Yes. So what, what can you share with, with us, our, our audience, about of all the information that's out there? How do we discern what's credible yeah. believable? And let me provide a, a couple tips from, from that article. What I find, and, and this was true of myself uh, before I went to graduate school and, you know, started doing research, is that there's a plethora of information out on the web, but most of it isn't grounded in science. So, you know, if we're looking up, you know, uh, you know a swollen ankle or we're looking up here as a, oh my gosh, this is a great one, um, uh, foods to eat, anti-inflammatory diet, for example. Um Blogs abound that are not based on science. And so the first thing I would tell people is that if they see some kind of a health claim, um, you know, eat this food because it does X, what is the original research paper in which it was published? Um, 
I would say, you know, a lot of people read WebMD. I don't see the science there. Um, I might read something like Healthline because Healthline will always give me the references. Mm -hmm. And I always look at those. And then like some of it is just common sense. You know, like there might be um, a, a study about how, you know, something dramatically reduces fat, like, you know, like eating X number of calories a day or, or fasting, you know, reduces fat. And then you find out it was done in a mouse, you know, it's like, come on. I found one, there was one about um, turmeric and, and being anti-inflammatory and, and not to diss turmeric, but the study itself was done on broiler chickens. Like, come on. And, and so it's really, it's going back to the original paper, looking at, you know, who the study was done on, how big the population was, you know, was it done with 10 people? Was it done with a thousand people? And, and part of it is just having some common sense about, about what the key findings are. The other thing is, can you replicate it somewhere else? If, if one study shows it, I mean, maybe it's so new and novel that it's never been heard of. But, you know, Gail, you were talking a little bit about the brain-gut connection. And there's a lot of research about it. And it's actually grounded in physiology. So it's digging deeper. It's digging a little bit deeper, being a little bit more of a researcher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Tell us about your gerontology program, because I think maybe maybe a lot of people don't really quite understand what what that might that a program in gerontology might encompass. Yeah. That's great, and uh, you know I think I'm proof that you're hashtag never too old to get a degree in gerontology. So I chose USC. I mean USC has an excellent school of gerontology, but their claim to fame is not only that are they an excellent school, but it's it, it, you can do it all online. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge help for me, at, you know, as a mature student. And what I would say is that that class encompasses the science of aging along with the policy of aging. So you learn things like the physio, you know, you learn about the physiology of aging, the psychology, um, how emotions change with aging, how cognition changes with aging. We learned a lot about the, the, the things that can go wrong, you know, with the body. And it was funny because most of my fellow students were in their 20s. And, you know, we're talking about arthritis and how that presents. And, you know, I'm just, you know, we're studying it. And I'm just like looking at my hands and my knees going, oh, yeah, I know. I know that one. Um, <laughs> a class that really, really impacted me was the sociology of aging. And I think, you know, that's where I, I started to come to understand that this idea of live your best life longer through better lifestyle choices is only possible for some of the population. You know, a, a vast majority, a vast group of, of people who are underserved minorities, um, ethnic and racial minorities who live in food deserts, who are afraid to go out of their house because of gunshot, you know, they, they are not going to be able to just simply make better food choices because all they have is a, a convenience store with fast food. Mm -hmm. So I think sociology of aging really influenced me in terms of wanting to 
serve a broader population and trying to figure out how to do it, how to do it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a lot of what you learn about is policy of aging and what programs are in place to help older adults, you know, beyond Medicare and Social Security, the kinds of things that are being done even at community levels to make it easier for people to visit community centers or to stay in their homes longer and age in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it was very interesting. Very I, I, I love it. Yes. And, that, and, that's, and that's why I'm continuing on. So yeah, I, yeah. I can't imagine not being a student. So um, I became very interested in research as a result of doing the, um, the getting the degree in gerontology. So I'm starting a, a new program. I'm going to be getting a certificate uh, 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 in qualitative research and inquiry method through Indiana University. Again, it's another online program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Catherine, you mentioned this at the very beginning. I care deeply about the lived experiences of older adults. And I think if we want to enable older adults to do great things, to do cool things, to, you know, live their best life longer. I think we need to listen to them a little bit more. I certainly do. <laughs> Instead of assuming, oh, people want this or that. Like, what a, what a concept. We could listen. One of our guests said, if you want to know what it's like to be an old person, why don't you, we should ask them? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sally, thank you so much for being with us today. As an advocate for women aging, you are a really marvelous advocate. Oh, appreciate it. This this was so fun. And I love the work that you and Gail are doing. Um, And Catherine, I'm going to be excited to welcome you and and, uh, Dr. Uh, Carolyn Tork to Wellness Wednesday in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. And we are too. (laughs) We are too. Good choice. Good choice. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sally. Thank you.